0: Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. I'm uh, recording the message that we're going to... So, I'm wearing a wire, but not for the police, okay? So you don't, to, you, know, you don't have to... You don't have to worry about that. Hey, I'll tell you what, if it's alright, I'm going to move over here. And then I can see everybody. i got to watch this lady right here, though. I, I, she comes with me all the time. She's the one I really got to keep my eye on. So road with you on the interstate just get back to your preaching well that's true you sure did so my name is rocky brown we are here with redemption life center you hold that for me there mama sherry that's that's my mama mama sherry not my real life mama but i should be so lucky to have a mom that's as good as her fantastic woman we are with redemption life center this is Sherry Smith. This is that's the alias she's using this week. Uh. Last week, yeah, but it's kind of wild. they have a lot better personality than the group I was with here the last time. I got up the last time. Has anybody ever seen the old movie The Princess Bride yeah. with Andre, Andre the Giant? You know, and yeah. all that. You know, like it's set in medieval times. I got up, you know, and the room was full of people. Then there's probably twenty-five or thirty people here last time. I got up and I said, "This is Sherry Smith," and my name is Indego Montoya. Oh. <laughs> And it was like no one knew who I was talking about. I was like, "What's wrong with you people? Like, what have they done to you? You don't know. The, you've never seen the Princess Bride." I was like, "Come on!" It's like, "Golly, this is." I, I knew then it was going to be tough preaching that night. I said, this people, these people got no sense of humor." I like to laugh and joke and cut up, yeah. you know. I mean? So, but hey, I'm glad to be here with you. It's always an honor for me to get to come. I had what was it <laughs> the first time we were here? One guy was like, "Yeah, right. You shouldn't be lying." So. I'm actually not lying. I'm actually very glad to be here so, and be here with you. Send, it's always an honor to me to get to go anywhere and teach on God's Word, right? So my, what I kind of do in my ministry is, you know, I'm a teacher. That's what I do. I'm more of a teacher preacher than I am a preaching preacher. And here's why. I learned something a long time ago. I can get up, right, and I can preach to people. But if by the time I leave here, if you don't learn anything that's helped you, I've wasted my time, and I've wasted your time. You've already not done it you know what I mean? So at least you got a song out of the deal, yeah. right, and you got candy. So if it goes downhill from here, you can at least say, hey, they brought candy, and that guy played us a couple songs, and he wasn't half bad. So, but no, I mean, in all seriousness, it's always an honor to get to minister and teach God's Word anywhere. The Walmart parking lot, the dollar store, places like this, anywhere doesn't matter to me. I'm not one of these guys that's chained to a pulpit that I refuse to speak anywhere other than in the church and among church people. Matter of fact, I'll be perfectly honest with you: I would much rather come in settings like this and preach to people that want to hear it than to go to churches. And preach to people that don't want to hear it. So I would much rather be here than preaching at a church. So when I say that I'm glad to be here, I am glad to be here. My only thing is is that I don't get to come but once a month. Well, they have us on a rotation. So there's so two times. So Sherry comes during the day. Everybody comes on Fridays. Sherry and then one of my best friends, Michael Mace, he comes. They kind of alternate, so they come throughout the day during, they'll come at like one o'clock, so I don't know, who's going to be here next week? Is that the first? No, No, it's Christmas. Oh, Pastor Tim. Yeah, so they may not be here, I don't know. Pastor Tim will be here next week. For Christmas? So you'll enjoy Pastor Tim, he's a really nice guy, you'll like him. He's probably not going to, uh... he's a pretty good singer too. So, I don't know if he's going to sing you rodeo songs or not. So, if you're here, you're going to to say, hey, that last guy that came, he sung us some rodeo songs. So, and then they'll probably know who you're talking about. But I am very glad to be here. And so, you know, tonight is different. Uh, Tonight's a different message than the last two times that i come. But, see, I don't want to take a message and then just bring that same message to everybody. See, because everybody, see this group, the group that's here, see you have different needs, than the two previous groups and i knew that so see what i like to do is i like to do something that a lot of preachers don't do i actually like to listen to the holy spirit and say hey what do you want to do here right what do you want to do here so i'm going to present you with a little bit of an interesting case out of the gospels my friend jesus finds himself in a very interesting place a place that most teachers in that time wouldn't have found themselves. And it's very, very cool, right? So, Sherry, if I can have the iPad. And I'm going to break this thing down to you, share a little bit with you. So, in John chapter 5, if you've ever read this, John chapter 5, Jesus goes to this place called Bethesda. Anybody ever heard of the Bethesda pool? You ever heard of the Beth- Bethesda pool? It's close, yep. Yeah. So the Bethesda pool, at one time, before, I- I- in time gone by, now when I say in time gone by, I'm talking about time prior to what we're about to read here in the Gospels, and so we're not talking about 20 years ago, you understand. In time gone by, from the time that Jesus finds himself at the Pool of Bethesda, the Pool of Bethesda was a very, very nice place. Beautiful colonnades, outdoor porches, right? Beautiful place. You can go, you can look this place up online now, and there are beautiful uh, mosaic tiles on the floor, mosaics on the floor. You know what a mosaic is? Those little tiles that they put together and they form pictures and stuff in the floor. You know, they take little colors and different things and they make pictures in the floor. That's what they call a mosaic. So, but at the time that Jesus... And this was built by rich people when it was built, right? But at the time that Jesus is there, this place has went downhill dramatically, right? And it says... So, let will start at verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And it says, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called, in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. So when you, I should have brought a picture of it. But in one of the uh, museums in Jerusalem, they have a kind of like an ancient rendering of what this place looked like. Right? So think about it like a big rectangle. Right? Well, Bethesda had two pools in it. It had an upper pool and it had a lower pool big place right and, and and until i started studying this i always thought that this you know it was kind of like a kind of like a big gazebo you know what i mean like like it it was just open you know what i mean and they had kind of walkways let like, you know it was covered porches right because when you hear the term covered porches that's what you think but actually this was a walled structure it was completely walled right so think about this walls all the way around it. It's got a... It's open in the center, right? So imagine this place just like this, right? Completely walled with doors entering. You can't see from outside to inside unless you're standing at one of the openings, right? But then in the center, it's completely open, right? So rain can fall right in there. All right. So Jesus didn't just happen to find himself here. This is the thing that's important to understand, right? Now... It says, Bethesda, having five porches. It says, and in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So this place is jam-packed full of people laying on these porches, laying on this porch. In Greek if you study the the Greek New Testament and start to look at this, the picture that you would get almost from this, that there's a great multitude of sick people laying here, would almost be like, picture it like sardines in a can. They're so tightly packed upon one another that there's no room for movement. Think about it like that, okay? It says, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water... Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So picture this. There's all these sick people that are laying there, right? And at a certain time, an angel of the Lord would come, stir up the water, and the first person that could get into the water was the one that got healed. Right? I want you to keep that in mind. Now, Bethesda, Jesus finds himself inside the Bethesda structure. He finds himself at the pool, pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda is a pretty cool name. Does anybody know what it means? Bethesda, in Greek, means house of mercy. All right? So, house of mercy. Now, think about it like this. (laughs) The The Lord said it to me like this as I was driving up here. He said, you know, when Jesus stepped in that place, the house of mercy was actually full of mercy. See, the origin and creator of mercy filled the house. So you could even say it like this. This was probably the first time that the house of mercy had ever been filled to capacity with the the mercy of God. Man, how cool is that, right? That's, uh, That's beautiful. Right. So, thing think going on, it says that there was a certain man who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, you'll hear a lot of people that will preach on this and speak on this and they'll say that that man laid at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. Well, that's not what the word says. It says that he had this condition for 38 years. Well, if you've ever had sicknesses, right, a sickness, you get it and then what? It progressively, lots of sicknesses progressively get worse. It's not like the flu when you get real super sick and then you start to progressively get better. A lot of sicknesses and diseases, when you contract them or they find themselves in your body, continuously get worse. Right? So, this man did not lay at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. It said he had this, he had had this infirmity for 38 years. It's translated from the Greek word asthenia. And this is a broad spectrum term. Think about it like this. You ever heard someone, you, what do we use? Well, they're sick. Well, what does that mean? They have a, that can mean anything from they have a runny nose to what? They have terminal cancer. So, see, that, that infirmity or asthenia. That is exactly what that's the same type as just say, that's the same type of thing as just saying this person is sick, right? I need Clark for just a second. Need Clark. All right. So this is just like saying someone's sick, okay? So, but listen to what Jesus says here. Now, we've already painted this picture that there's a multitude of sick people here, right? One person literally almost stacked on top of another, and Jesus walks up to this guy He's walking around, he's walking around, he's walking around. Do you want to be made well? Now isn't that interesting? Seeing the ministry of the Lord Jesus, if you study the Greek New Testament, you'll come to find out that in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus healed five categories of sicknesses that encompass every type of sickness and every type of disease. And there were many times in the ministry of the Lord Jesus that He went to certain places like we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Will you open that for me? Matthew 4, 23. That way I don't have to click off where I'm at here. Matthew 4, 23. I want, to, I want you to hear this. You want me to hum the theme song to Jeopardy? Doo, 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 doo. I should have came better prepared, huh? Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, And what? And healing all kinds of sickness and all manner of diseases among the people. So he went places, and anybody that wanted to be healed, he healed them. See, it's this funny thing is that, you know, it's not a question of can God heal, it's will he heal me. It's not can God help people, will he help me, right? If you got trouble, we need to know, will God help me? See, that's the thing. Well, you need some biblical precedent to stand on. There's not one reference in the gospel, in any of the gospels, that God refused healing to anybody. Not one time. God never refused healing to anybody. Now, in Mark chapter 6, you'll come to find out that Jesus was in his own hometown And he could there do no mighty works because of their unbelief. It says that he marveled at their unbelief. All he could do was heal a few sick people. You know why he couldn't do any mighty works there? It says, you can look this up yourself, Mark chapter 6. It says, when they heard the wisdom in which he spoke with and saw the mighty works that he did, it says they were offended at him and said, is this not Jesus, the son of the carpenter? And it says, and they were offended at him. Well, why wouldn't they listen to him? Because they knew him. They had seen him. You mean this little old Jesus that we just saw a few years back running around with a cloth diaper on? Huh? Pooping his pants full? You're trying to tell me this is a miracle worker? Now see, he went to every, all these other places, all these other regions. Miraculous moves of God. And God never told one person, no that's interesting isn't it and i know that's different than what a lot of people preach but you know a lot of people preach a lot of stuff that's not right just because you have a phd at the end of your name doesn't mean anything because you come to find that phd like brother H- kenneth e hagan you say he talked about these intellectual people You know, they try to tell you, you know, miracles aren't for today, the move of God's not for today, all these different things. He'd say, you know, that PhD ought to just stand for post hole digger because an everyday old common post hole digger would be able to read the Bible and know better than that. See, it's important to understand, and if you don't know this, how can you possibly stand on it? A man by the name of F.F. Bosworth had a quote that said, It is impossible to boldly claim by faith a promise that you're not sure God's making It's impossible to boldly claim by faith a promise that you are unsure that God is making. So you can think about it like this. You know, you can look at John 3:16, and someone can say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should never perish, but he'll have eternal life. Verse 17 would say, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Boy, I wish a lot of preachers would get a hold of that. And quit condemning people. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn anybody, but that the world through Him might be saved. So you can rightly rightly or readily see, I can believe for salvation. I can believe that God doesn't want me to go to hell. But people struggle with believing that God wants to help them. God wants to help them come out of whatever it is that's holding them down. Can you see that? See, because a lot of people, you ever heard the old term, well, you've made your bed, now what? Now you got lying. You know what? Jesus laid in a bed you made so that you didn't have to. (laughs) What do you think about that? Jesus? (laughs) I ain't never heard that before. But praise God, Jesus laid in a bed that you made so that you wouldn't have to. See, we don't understand the work of the master. We don't understand what he went through. We don't understand how much he suffered. If I asked you a question, would you give me an honest answer? How do you think God sees you? If it was just you, think about it like this. If you could roll back this curtain, right, and it's just, tell me your name. Andrew. It's just Andrew and God. How do you think God sees you? It's a tough question, isn't it? Because see, if you have a past, and I do, if you have a bad past, and I do, it is very easy to believe that God does not want to help me. If there is a God, why would He care for me with the things that I've done? The old man that I was, see, before I was born again, did a lot of bad things. Some things worse than bad. And one of the things that I struggled with the most was, if there is a God, why would He love me? And not only that, but why would he love me so much that he would supposedly let his son come here and die for me? Anybody in this room ever feel ungodly? It's okay. Raise your hand. You ever feel ungodly? I do. I did a lot in the old days. You know what the Bible says? It says Christ died for the ungodly. (laughs) So... (laughs) you qualify what's that mean it means you qualify for the benefit package huh you've been <laughs> pre-approved <laughs> anybody ever get them credit card letters in the mail huh you've been pre-approved for a loan you know like uh i can't think of that one that's here local one financial or something you know i get these letters all the time oh you've been approved for a a loan of $40,000 at a rate of 37% interest. Yeah, thanks. No, I just soon cut my foot off. I appreciate you. No, thanks. No, I don't intend to pay back $15,000 in interest on $40,000 loan, right? So if you have felt ungodly, you know what? God said, you're pre-approved. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. So, think about this. Tell me your name. Chris. Chris. So think about this, Chris. Before you made every mistake that you've ever made, God already had a solution to the problem. He knew you were going to make it. See, love... Hmm. This is funny thing about what true love is. It's funny thing about love. It does. But love is a choice. You can force, the Lord said it to me like this one time. He said you can force everything in creation. But you can't force love. You can't do it. So you could think about it like this. Another way that you could look at Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is this. You could take that verse that said, but God demonstrated His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. You could take that verse and you could break it down like this. God put His love on demonstration for all of eternity to see that while we were yet sinners, His beautiful Son, Jesus Christ, died for our sins. Now see, there's this thing, right? See, People would go places in the in the book of Acts in the formation of the church, and they'd preach the gospel, and the Lord would work with them, confirming the word that they preached with accompanying signs, wonders, and miracles. Mark chapter sixteen, verse twenty, it says, "And the apostles went out and preached the word, and the Lord worked with them." It says he worked right along with them, doing what? Confirming the word. That they preached with accompanying signs, wonders, and miracles. I have a friend of mine named Paul of Tarsus, and one time in Acts chapter 13, he's preaching the gospel at Lystra and he looks out in the crowd, says he saw a man that received faith to be healed. So, you know what? Jesus Christ died for more than just you to be born again and it's short-sighted unto blindness for a minister to not tell you that see he died the pinnacle of salvation is for you to have eternal life not floating around on a cloud in a diaper with a little arrow you know like like we've seen a lot of this stuff no heaven's a happening place right heaven's a real place THE KINGDOM OF HEAVEN IS A REAL PLACE. GOD'S THRONE IS A VERY, VERY REAL LOCATION IN THE KINGDOM OF HEAVEN. THERE ARE FOUR REALMS IN CREATION. DID YOU KNOW THAT? It's FOUR REALMS. It's A REALM OF THE NATURAL, WHICH WE'RE IN NOW. THERE'S A REALM THAT'S A PRISON FOR DISOBEDIENT SPIRITS, CALLED HELL. THERE'S A REALM OF THE SPIRIT WHERE ANGELS AND DEMONS AND THE HOLY SPIRIT OPERATE. VERY REAL. THEN THERE'S A FOURTH REALM called the kingdom of God. Three heavens. The Bible speaks of three heavens. His kingdom is in the heaven of heavens. It's a very real place. Three heavens. The natural heaven, then what's called the realm of the spirit because see, in Ephesians chapter 2, Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air. So there's another realm between here and the kingdom of God. Daniel chapter 10, you would come to find out that the angel Gabriel, after Daniel had set his heart to fast for 21 days, it says the angel Gabriel was sent with a message and Gabriel finally got there on the 23rd day of Daniel's fast and said, Daniel, man greatly beloved of God, from the moment that you purposed in your heart to hear the word of God and to do what his will says, he said, your words have been heard and I've come because of your words. But the prince of Persia withstood me 21 days. And one of the chief princes, Michael, came and upheld me, got me through. There was interference. Think about that. There was interference from an angel of God getting a message from God through the realm of the Spirit into the realm of the natural to the prophet Daniel. Pretty interested in it. So we see that eternal life is not merely an eternal existence but an eternal living in the presence of God. And eternal death is being eternally separated from God. Now God doesn't want anybody to be eternally separated from Him. It's not His will. It's not the will of the Lord that any should perish. People will say, well, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, can't he? He can't. There are things God can't do. He can't lie. That's according to the word of the Lord. He can't force you to spend forever with him. That's why you must believe in your heart unto righteousness and confess with your mouth unto salvation. So he won't even force you to live with him. Why? Because love is a choice. God chose to love you. Now he asks you to choose to love him. Now, how's all this tying together? Well, because see, Jesus paid for you to be able to spend eternity with Him. But He also paid for other things too. Acts 10 and 38 talks about, if you've never read the book of Acts, it's a beautiful book. Acts chapter 10, the Apostle Peter finds himself at a man called Cornelius' house. He was a Roman centurion. Right? An angel of the Lord appears to Peter and says, Send to Joppa and inquire of Simon the tanner for one Simon Peter and tell him to come to you. So they send, you know, and Peter comes, shows up. Peter gets in there, preaches about three minutes. The baptism of the Holy Ghost falls upon the place and it breaks out, and they're speaking in tongues and magnifying God. Peter, he only said about he only preached about three minutes there, you know. And then praise God's salvation came to Cornelius' house and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and it was a and it was a good old time. But Acts chapter ten, thirty-eight, verse thirty eight says how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and how he went about doing good. Now doing good there would make you think, well, he went about doing kind things. Doing good there is translated from the Greek word euergeteo, and it means to do good. Philanthropic work. Who knows what philanthropic work is? Philanthropy. Philanthropy is giving money to help people who are in need. So Jesus went about doing good, giving money to people who were in need, and what? And healing, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So when we go back there to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, what would that say? It said that he went to a certain region and they brought to him all who were sick. All. And he did what? He healed them all. So you can think about it like this. I think it's Colossians chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, I think it is. that says that Jesus is the express image of God's likeness. You know what that means? If you look that up, it means he's an exact replica of God the Father in every way. So you can think about it like this. You'd never see in the ministry of Jesus him doing something that God the Father himself wouldn't do if he was walking the earth. And yet, Jesus himself never worked one miracle. And he proved that. We'd like to have a little proof of that wouldn't we? Well, that's a big statement to make, isn't it? John chapter 14, Jesus said, The words in which I speak, I don't speak to you on my own authority, but on the authority of the one who sent me. And the works that I do, it's not me. He plainly says it. It's not me. But the Father in me does the works. So you may be here struggling with addiction. But you know what? There's a power available to you to set you free. People might say unto you, well, that's a sickness that you'll never get over. Maybe naturally speaking, that's right. But Jesus went about healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Get this, Jesus never healed one Christian. <laughs> that's, that's interesting, isn't it? See, John 1 and 12 says that he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him, but for all those that believed in him, he gave them the right to be called children of God, sons of God. Well, they couldn't believe on Him because He hadn't been crucified, buried, dead, and raised from the dead. They couldn't believe on Him as Savior. It wasn't even available. See that? So Jesus went about healing. Get this. You ready for this? God's servants. The Bible never calls the children of Israel God's children. Never. Not one time. Look that up yourself. Calls the children of Israel God's servants, why is that important? Well, people will say, well, you know, God used to do that stuff in the Old Testament, but he doesn't do that anymore. Well, that's not true. The greatest demonstrations of God's power was in the the New Testament. And think about it like this. Sherry and I were talking about this on the way up here. In Ephesians chapter 1, my friend Paul makes a statement. He says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be flooded. He says, I pray that the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, given to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding would be flooded with light, enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And listen to this and what's the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that's named. Not only in this age but also that which is to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Why is that important? What's according to mean? According to means a measurement exactly the same what is the exceeding greatness of his power, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So think about this. Andrew, the power that's available to set Andrew free from whatever Andrew is dealing with tonight is the exact same measurement of power that God used to raise his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead and set him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's, a, that's, a, that's the power, the measurement of power that's available to you. To to any who will believe. Now you say to me, you've said all this, how's that tie back into John chapter 5? Well, I'm so glad you asked. You thought I'd forgot about John chapter 5, didn't you, Andrew? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus walked up to the man at the pool of Bethesda and said what? How you doing, buddy? Since you've been laying here 38 years, what's going on, man? You having a problem in your faith? What's going on here? No, he didn't say that. He walked up to that man. He walked past a building full of sick people stacked one upon the other, and went to this man and said, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? What did that man say? He said, Sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water is troubled. And Jesus did not say, Man, what a shame. I hate that for you. You've made your bed. Now you're going to have to lie on it. No, you know what Jesus did? He retched down and got a hold of that man's hand. And the power of God flowed through Jesus into that man and raised that man up from his crippled condition of 38 years. Crippled condition of 38 years. Now you might say to me, well, that's Jesus, right? Well, guess what? I'm here on his behalf. He sent me. He sent me to do His work. And if you want to be set free, you can be. But here's the thing, right? Go back to what Jesus said to the man. Do you want to be made well? You know, there's a lot of people that don't want to be made well. You know that? There's a lot of people that don't want to be healed of their sickness because their sickness has become their identity, and without, their I- and without this sickness that has become their identity, they have no identity, they think. I know lots of people like that. That's tough, isn't it? But see, we got to be honest with each other. Can I tell you a story? Let me tell you a story. A I like to use me as an example. Okay? So, in October of 2015 the lord said to me well earlier in that year he said i've called you to teach my people faith and i said that's great because people really don't want to hear about that (laughs) you know people don't want to hear about the stuff that'll help them you know they want to get up there and hear political messages you know we want to hear messages slamming people that we don't like you know that's the kind of messages that is uh, fan favorites from the pulpit you understand I said, well, this is going to be tough sledding, so to speak. So I said, okay. So I started studying on faith, right? Teaching people faith. In October of 2015, now I say, I was dipping snuff. Well, you might say that's not a big thing, right? The Lord said to me, You can't teach faith anymore until you quit dipping snuff. And I said, Oh Lord. I've dipped, I've had I, I, I said I've dipped snuff since I was a boy, <laughs> yeah, you know. And I kind of like it. There's nothing like cracking the can, the lid of Copenhagen. Mm, I can still it still kind of makes my heart flutter a little bit even now when I think about it. <sighs> you know, did okay, anybody ever hear that old? Uh, chris ledue song copenhagen copenhagen makes me feel so good (laughs) so i said okay so i tried to quit dipping snuff and i made it about four or five days and almost had a nervous breakdown i said oh jesus so i go back then i try to quit (laughs) i made it i made it i think 13 days one time right so i was struggling So then I made the, you know, I'm up and down here, right? So I made this push. I said, all right, I'm going to do this thing. So I started, I endeavored to believe God, to quit dipping snuff. And you know what happened to me? My body went haywire. Have you ever, anybody here ever felt their own heart stop beating? It got so bad. This is the truth. As the Lord lives, this is the truth. It got so bad I could feel the muscles around my heart tighten, and I could put my hand on my pulse, and my heart would go beat, 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 beat. And I tell you what, hey, you don't—it don't take long to realize you got bad problems. Your heart don't is not beating, and it don't—you don't need a heart doctor to tell you, hey, you got trouble here, right? So. What am I going to do? So I went to the heart doctor. Right? They put me on a heart monitor. They can't catch it. It's doing it. I went to. I was at. I was at the doctor's. Hubert Williams over here on the first Williamsburg, or on the first London exit. I went down there. I've got this heart monitor on. It's doing it. Boom, boom, pause. Boom, boom, pause. He said this heart monitor is not reading anything. I said it's doing it right now. How do you know? <laughs> I said. I can kind of tell, you know, you know what I mean, I kind of tell, right, so they put me on this medicine, didn't work, didn't do a thing, put me on these, what do they call that, cherry beta, beta beaters, what do they call them, beta blockers, beta blockers, didn't do a thing, put me on nerve medicine, didn't do a thing, you know what it did, slowed my heart down to where I could really feel it then, you know, so you're on nerve medicine, and it's like, and I'm usually, I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty wound tight guy. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm kind of, you know, I'm on average floating around 5,000 RPMs when I But when I get started, you know what I mean? So I'm usually kind of cranked up, right? And so then they put you on this heart medicine, this nerve medicine, you know, and all this bunch of junk, you know. And so now, now you're about half buzzed out from this nerve medicine, and you still feel your heart not messing up, not beating right. I said, Lord, this is going to kill me. So you know what I did? I said, I went, I'd had enough. I went down to the local Williamsburg IGA, bought me a can of Copenhagen, long cut straight, my heart. Still, I was at work. I said, I'm going to get a can of snuff. I mean, it was so bad, I couldn't even hardly think. You know, of course it's a little distracting when your heart's not beating right, or stopping. You know, it's one thing when it races a little bit, but when it's stopping, you know, there's an issue. So I went to the IGA, got a can of snuff, drove back, Cut that can with my fingernail, you know, anybody at dips ever always kept one can, one fingernail a little longer than the rest of them so that way you can that way, you know, that way because if you don't, you're gnawing into that thing with your teeth. Look there, see look this guy's got he's got teeth marks on his can, he ain't got any fingernails. Right? I opened that can up, grabbed me a big pinch, boom, threw it in there, and just like that right there, that heart trouble went away. Instantaneously. Now, nah, you can believe that. You can not believe it. It really don't matter because it's still the truth, right? That's the true story. So I said, well, now the great man of faith that I am, I said, well, I guess I'll just quit teaching people faith because I can't beat this thing, right? So I went about, <laughs> about four months. And every time I listened, it seemed like I'd listened to a message from Brother Hagin. This same verse kept coming up kept coming up, and it was like, you ever have a verse come up, and you shy away from it, because it's like, oh man, I know, like the Lord's trying to correct me right here, right, and I know, right, so, I'll tell you what the verse was here in a second. So, the first week of June, a guy by the name of Mark Hankins came to church down there in Corbin, and he was a student, he was a student of Brother Hagin, you know, and all this different stuff, so, And Brother Hagin, a prophet, prophet of the Lord. I mean, amazing ministry. And uh, so Mark got up there. You know what he's talking about? Brother Hagin's last camp meeting, the last message he preached at the last camp meeting. He said, you know, we were expecting this great message, you know, from the great prophet. He said, and Brother Hagin got up there, and in his last years, everything he preached on, he preached on love, 1 Corinthians 13. and. He went up there to that pulpit and opened his Bible up. Here, everybody in the house is expecting this great message, prophetic message, you know. Brother Higgins said, open your Bibles to First Corinthians 13. We're going to talk about the topic of love. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, so, you know, I was like, man, there's got to be something to this. So as I was driving home that day, I got home. The Lord said to me, he said, think about, think about this. He said, I've called you to teach people faith through the eyes of my love. I said, this is really a double whammy right here because... People don't want to hear about faith, and they most certainly don't want to hear about love. I said, I've got a double whammy right here. So, you know, I was like, and, you know, I've still got this whole condition going on here about, we got problems here. (laughs) You know, the carburetor's not working quite right. You see what I'm saying? So, I'll never forget it. I was sitting, I was sitting at my desk, and I finally, I kind of got a little mad, and I spun around, and Abigail, my nine-year-old, was, oh, let's see, 2016 had been four years ago. She was four or five years old at the time. She's running around playing in the front room, you know. I told the Lord. I said, all right, Lord. I said, this is, this is it right here. I said, John Lake, John G. Lake, wonderful minister. You need to look him up around the turn of the century. Amazing ministry. Went to Africa. They called him the Apostle to Africa. He said that over there, they were dealing with the witch doctors and the Christians over there scared to death of these witch doctors. Very real power. Very, very real power. Don't let anybody deceive you and fool you. Very real power. John Lake said, When the Lord made First John 4-4 real to him, which is greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, he said, When that became real to me, really real, he said, we went from running from those witch doctors to taking them on 15 to 20 at a time and getting them born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. Think about that. So I said, Lord, you gave John Lake 1 John 4-4. Smith Wigglesworth, an Englishman, amazing ministry, would run back and forth on stages at meetings. They said Smith had about a third grade education, wrote a letter one time to a fellow minister and spelled Holy Spirit seven different ways. But when the anointing would fall, it was amazing. His mind was so simple that it didn't restrict the moving of God. right? So Smith Wigglesworth would run back and forth on the stage and shout, only believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. But well, where does that come from? That comes from Mark chapter 5 when a man by the name of Jairus goes to Jesus to heal his daughter who's at the point of death. And while Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house, a woman with the issue of blood sneaks up through the crowd and says to herself, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I'd be made well. And she made power contact. Jesus is thronged, pressed about with all these people. And Jesus stopped and said, someone touch me. And the disciples are like, Lord, don't you see all these people around you? What do you mean someone's touching you? He said, no, no, no. He said, someone touched me. I felt power. He said, someone touched me in faith. I felt power go out of me. And he turned around and he saw that woman who'd done this thing. so that woman could have been stoned. Not Cheech and Chong style. Stoned, drug outside the city and killed with rocks because she was in a crowd that she shouldn't have been in with the condition that she had. Very real. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And in the going of this... They come from Jairus' house and say, trouble the teacher no more. Your little daughter is dead. The Amplified Bible says, Jesus hearing the report, but ignoring it, turned to Jairus and said, do not be afraid, only believe. I said, so you gave Wigglesworth, do not be afraid, only believe. Kenneth Hagin, seven types had a heart condition, deformed heart, incurable blood diseases, all this different stuff. Brother Hagin told the Lord, or the Lord told Brother Hagin, he said, the woman with the issue of blood said, Her faith made her whole, your faith will make you whole. I said, You gave Brother Hagin that. I said, now you want me to quit dipping snuff. Now so you're wondering how I'm going to tie this back into you want to be made well. <laughs> you thought I forgot, didn't you? <laughs> Andrew's over here doubting me. So you know what I had to do? I had to be honest with the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to quit dipping snuff. And I'm going to tell you why I don't want to quit dipping snuff. I like it. I like the smell of it. I like the taste of it. I like the way it feels in my pocket. I like everything about it. I like to be able to flip that thing and hear the sound of a full snuff can in my pocket. Boom, 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 right? I said I like it. And I don't want to quit. But now you've told me that if I'm going to teach people faith, I'm going to have to quit. Now we got a problem here, Lord. I said, so you gave Lake, First John 4, 4. You gave Wigglesworth this. You gave Brother Hagin this. I said, now you're going to have to give me a scripture and make it real, so real to me that I can't, can't possibly miss it. You'd think the Lord get mad at me, didn't you? He didn't get mad. He said, Colossians 1 and 13, the very verse that had presented itself probably 25 times in the last three months when that verse that I was shying away from, what's that Colossians 1 13 say? For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us, translated us, placed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And the Lord said to me, he said, when you were born again, you were removed out from underneath the kingdom of Satan and all of his rule and reign. Now what you choose to subject yourself to he said, I have no authority in until you want help. Do you want to be made well? So the thing about it is, is do you? Because see, the thing about this is, is, you see this? This will never work unless you really want it to. Now this is, don't get me wrong, this is God's least best way to get you set free. It's his very least best way. How can I prove that to you? Because Jesus went about healing all types of sickness and disease, setting free all who were oppressed of the devil. See that? Setting free all who were oppressed of the devil. Now this is God's least best way to get you healed, and this will work if you'll, put, if you'll believe it. It'll get you, it'll get you, it'll get you set free. Won't, but it, will it keep you free? No, it won't. If you don't want to be set free, you won't be. And there's no one... That can make you. That's the thing about it. And see, we have a way of creating reasons, don't we? We have a way of creating reasons to keep us doing that in which is destructive to us. In my particular instance, now this is one instance dealing with snuff. Right? I had a number of reasons to justify why I was doing what I was doing and as long as i do that i'll never be set free you know what happened i took that word and that very day i quit dipping snuff and you know what for three weeks i was as sick as a dog i would go to work and i would get so lightheaded that i couldn't hardly stand up and i would get sick to my stomach And you know what I'd do? I'd walk outside. I was a salesman at W.D. Bryant's in Williamsburg, Kentucky. I'd walk outside, and I'd quote that verse. Lord, you have delivered me from the power of darkness, and you've placed me, Father, you've placed me into the kingdom of the Son of your love. And I'd quote that verse, and I'd quote that verse, and I'd quote that verse, and strength would come. And I'd go back in there, and sometimes I had to do that 10 or 15 times a day. Or I'd go to the bathroom down there. I mean, sick. Now this is just snuff. Now that's not talking about anything else to do with anything in the past, you understand? But the question that I have, do you want to be made well? See, that's the thing. Because until you do, not even God can help you. And He wants to. I'm here. I'm here to help you. Uh I, I want to share one thing with you. Can I borrow your can I borrow your Bible? I'm glad you brought that thing in. I tried everywhere in the world to keep you not getting that, didn't I? I'm glad you brought it in. Share something with you. You got time. Anybody learn anything? Yeah. So I want you to know how God feels about you. Because see, once you know how God feels about you, how you think God sees you will inevitably affect how you go to it. It's inevitable. If you think he doesn't want anything to do with you, why will you go to it? If he if he doesn't if he doesn't want anything to tell me your name. Uh, Joseph. Joseph if God doesn't want anything to do with you, why go to him to help? Right? So that's the thing. And so you know the devil, he wants to. You know what he'll do? He'll help you make a bad decision and then when you're whipping yourself with a belt over what you've done, he'll help you. Oh, you knew you shouldn't have did that and you did it. Or you knew you should have did this and you didn't do it. See, he plays both sides of the fence, doesn't he? Let me share this with you. This is the fourth chapter of Luke. Now the Lord told Brother Hagin that this is exactly the same message. That, I, that What I'm about to read to you right here is exactly the same message that Jesus was Jesus' opening message everywhere, every new city that he went to and every new place that he went and he ministered. You say, you got Bible to prove that? Nope. And no one's got Bible to prove that I don't, that he didn't. This is what Jesus said. Listen very carefully. He said he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he's back in his hometown. It's harder to preach in front of the people you know than the people you don't know. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. He said, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. When he unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written. this The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what, Jesus? to preach the gospel to the poor now gospel what's that word mean good news so if you're hearing preaching that's not good news guess what you ain't hearing the gospel you're not hearing the gospel now see I can tell you there's a prison for disobedient spirits called hell that God does not want you to go to and the good news is number one he does not want you to go there that's a that should be a big comfort in its own right. Whoa, you mean there's a prison? There's a place called hell and God doesn't want me to go there? That's pretty good news. And not only that, not only does God not want me to go there, but you know what? Jesus Christ laid in the bed that I made. Jesus Christ took upon Himself all of my punishment for all of my sin, and not only my sin, but for the sin of the world, so that I can just merely, simply believe in Him And I'll have everlasting eternal life. That's good news, isn't it? That's really good news. Also, good news is the fact that He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. See, don't let anybody fool you and tell you that's spiritual healing. See, you were spiritually dead. You can't heal the dead, can you? Can you raise, can you have a dead person and just go over there and say, oh, hey, Uh, They got a broke arm. Let's heal that arm. No, you're not going to heal it. All right. You can't heal something that's dead. People who are have. When you sin for the first time, knowingly, Romans chapter 7 says, sin deceives you and it kills you. Well, that means spiritually you died. Spiritually, you became separated from God. So healing that Jesus paid for, see. That cross. Anybody know what that Jesus went to the whipping post. See, he was scourged. Anybody remember that? You ever heard that term, Pilate? They took him. Pilate said, "Send him and scourge him." Isaiah 52 says that the image of the man was marred beyond human recognition. You ever see a cat in nine tails? It had a big wit, had a big handle, and had nine braids of leather. You know, varying in different lengths, and pieces of glass and rock and. Metal and all this different stuff wove into that, and they'd take those people and they'd scourge them isaiah fifty two says that he was marred, he was unrecognizable as a human being, and that he was marred beyond any other well, that was not the punishment for that was not him receiving the punishment for sin his body what he said in the at the supper he said, This is my body what broken for you. This is the blood of my new covenant. So his body was broken for your healing. So Jesus paid for your healing. And he paid for every type of healing that man could possibly need. He paid for that. In himself, he paid for that. For Joseph, Andrew, Clark, Clark, Tim, John. John. See that? See, Jesus paid for it. Think about it like this. I heard Franklin Graham say one time, if you were the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus Christ would have still came and died for you. You. That's how much he loves you. And he didn't just lay his life down for you and shed his blood for you so that you could spend eternity with him. Thank God he did. Thank God that's the, that is the pinnacle of salvation. But, you know, we need help now, don't we? We need help in the here and in the now, don't we? Heaven is going to be beautiful. Heaven is off the hook. It's wonderful. But what do we do about now? See, he didn't. He said, I'm not going to leave you Orphans. So I'm going to send another one. It's just like me. He said, it's actually better for you that I go so that I can send the Holy Spirit to help you. So that's preaching the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Well, brokenhearted here, if you look this word up, has primarily two meanings. Number one, one who is grieving from the unexpected loss or even the expected loss Of a loved one. Or it says one who is mourning the loss of a romantic relationship. There's a man in Wimsburg that lost a child. And he is utterly destroying his life. And the life of his children. And the life of his family. With meth, drugs, alcohol. He's tearing his life apart. Why? Why? Every time we talk to someone, well, losing this child has caused all of this, and that's very true. And we're not taking—I'm sure that's very true—and we're not taking anything away from that. But you know what? Jesus said, "You know what? God has sent me to heal your broken heart." Sets so number two on his list. Number one is preaching the gospel to the poor. Number two, healing of the brokenhearted. Number three, to preach deliverance to the captives. You're you ever feel like you're a captive? You feel like you're being held against your will in something that you really don't want, but you can't understand how to get out of it? You keep finding yourself, falling back into the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, you're being held captive of recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Oppressed, a very interesting word. If you look this up, in the Oxford Dictionary and in the Free Dictionary, it means one who is being held forcibly against their will. Do you feel like you're being held forcibly against your will? In, this, in struggling with these addictions and stuff? See, it's important, I think, to understand. Let me read this last part. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's very important to understand how the enemy attacks you because when you understand how the enemy attacks you then you'll understand how you can stand against it so if you've ever heard the verse first peter chapter five verses seven and eight i do believe it is where it says peter says be sober be vigilant for your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour therefore resist him steadfast in the face knowing that your brethren are experiencing the same trials around the world well you've heard the word devil right and the world makes a devil look like this little thing, you know, walking around with pitchfork, little horns, you know, a little tail. Bible dictionaries, unfortunately, most of them, only give you about half of the definition of what the devil is. See, devil's translated from the Greek word diabolos. So if you look up devil in a Bible dictionary, it'll say the accuser of the brethren. It'll say the adversary. Right, Your enemy. But thank God for good people who will go further. See, a lot of Bible teachers and a lot of Bible scholars will ignore definitions to words and how they were used in their original setting. And they'll try to apply this in a way that, you know, because it's not holy to use a worldly definition for something, isn't it? You know, the word devil was around. Diabolos was used in Greek writings before the writing of the New Testament. So, diabolos is a compound word. We got any hunters in here? Clark, are you a hunter? Yeah. Tim, do you hunt much. any? Not yeah. much. Me either. But, so diabolos is a compound word. What's that mean? It means I take one word and another word that has this meaning and this meaning, and when I put them together, it means I have a combined meaning. Okay. So, dia, deer hunter or rifle? Or uh, bow hunter or rifle? Bow. bow. Okay, so if Clark is out in the woods with his bow, Clark is up in his stand. Clark is looking for the opportune shot to double lung. Clark wants his deer or wants his arrow to go in one side of this deer and go completely through that deer out the other side. Is that right? Okay. Alright, so dia in Greek means to thoroughly penetrate something, to pass from one side thoroughly, completely through the other side. Complete and total penetration. Dia. Bolos. Bolas, does that sound like any English word there? Bolas, ball, your English word ball. This is where we get the term to throw. So when I take all of these meanings and I put them all together, I see that the devil is one. Number one, it's important for you to understand that there's more than one devil. Devil is a job title and not a proper name. So, in my life, I've been an electrician and a carpenter. My first name is Rocky. So, I, my proper name is Rocky, but my job titles were electrician and carpenter. And under electrician and carpenter, I have all these different job descriptions, right? So, devil is a job title, a non-proper name, and one of the definitions... So, as we start to piece this together, liar, adversary. Accuser of the brethren. Deceiver. And then we see that one of his modes that he does is that he comes against the mind. Hammering your mind. Again. And again. And again. And again. Until one of two things happens. You either understand how to resist him and stand against him. And you resist the devil. Or you give in. So think about, let's look at this. Can we be honest for just a moment here? Let's look at this in the scope of addiction. How many times has that urge came and you say, I'm not doing it this time? And then again, five minutes later, the urge comes. Ah, oh, I'm not doing it this time. And the urge comes. But don't you remember? You know, you know that it's bad for you, but yet, You know, you like how that made you feel when you got to this point. Oh, I'm not doing it. Yeah, but, you know, you really don't have any friends if you're not doing it. You don't want to be alone, do you? Oh, I'm still not doing it. Yeah, but, you know, you remember that one time when you was out running around with your buddy and you were doing... So he starts manipulating, hitting the mind. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Are we hitting anything here? How close am I? Huh? (laughs) So anytime that you know that that's happening, you'll know that that is your adversary coming against you, hammering your mind, trying to cause you to fall back into that in which you genuinely don't like, but you feel oppressed. You feel like you're held captive. You feel like you're trapped. There's no way out. You're coming to places, right? You're obviously here because you don't want to be where you were. See that? If you, you wouldn't be here if you did. Where would you be? Well, you'd be out doing whatever it was that you're here trying to get out of. So it's important to understand. See these things? Now the question is, you thought I'd forgot about John chapter 5 again, didn't you? do you want to be made well? In this instance, the Lord says to you, do you want to be set free? See, I come here in the name of the Lord in the power of the Spirit to set the captives free. That's what I came here. I come here so that Jesus can set the captives free. I came here so that those who are oppressed of the devil, that He can set them free. Because see, it's not me. It's not me that does the work. It's the Father in me who does the work. These words in which I speak to you, I don't speak to these words to you on my own authority, but on the authority of the one who sent me. So the question is, do you want to be set free? And how far are you willing to go to be set free? You're here. That's a really good start. How many times have you been in these places? See that? There's no judgment here. I'm not judging anyone. I come to bring you words of life by which you might be saved and delivered from what, that in which holds you down. I didn't come here to judge no one. I judge no one. I come here to set the captives free. So obviously, you all want help. The power of the Lord is present to heal you and deliver you and set you free. But here's the thing. If you get set free tonight, what are you going to do? See, it's important to start listening to the Word, start listening to teaching and preaching that continues to strengthen your spirit. Because the moment that you are not listening to teaching and preaching that is strengthening your spirit, you will begin to feel yourself slip. It's very important to understand that. But see, God doesn't, uh, God doesn't want Tim bound, and He doesn't want. John, Joe, John. John, and Joseph, and Clark, and Andrew, and that poor little girl that got nervous because she'd heard preaching like she ain't never heard in her life, and got up and left. You see, God don't want her. Say, God, he don't want her to struggle either. You know what? It's, you know what the perfect will of God in this situation is: is to get everyone here that's here in one big line. The power of God hit them all and set every one of them free. And we move another group in here tomorrow. God wants you to be set free. And Jesus could do it. It's not me, but Jesus can do it. He wants to do it. God can do it, but do you want to be set free? That's the thing. And if you're not at a point where you feel like you can really get a hold of that, don't think less of yourself because of that. Because see, the devil sit there and tell you, well, you know, that what he's saying is true. But you know, you know you always mess up. You know you always mess up. That's what he'll say to you. You know that, you know, it's probably for other people, but, you know, it's not for you. Because you know the things you've done. I mean, you know, you've been here so many times, and if God really wanted you well, wouldn't he have done something by now? Anybody ever heard that? I'm telling you tonight, God wants you set free. Completely set free. Set free totally set free and if you do sherry and i want to pray for you right and i'm going to wrap this thing up but don't leave here don't leave here without prayer don't leave here without prayer don't leave here without us praying for you because i can tell you that tim and john and joseph and clark and andrew you may have came in here bound by the power of the devil But you can walk out that door more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus the Lord. It'd be good for just a conqueror, wouldn't it? But you know, Romans chapter 8 says it made us more than conquerors. More than conquerors. I would have just settled for conqueror. I would have just settled for, hey, I'm just doing better than breaking even here. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, sometimes I just like to get my money back. You know, not even make a profit. If I could just get my money back in this situation, I'd be okay with it. But, you know, I mean, he wants to make you more than a conqueror. And all of these things, it's right there in the Word. Right there in God's Word. So don't let the devil steal that from you. There's people counting on you. Anybody got kids here? Y'all got kids? You know what? God doesn't see you in the position that you see yourself right now. He sees men of God, mighty warriors, more than conquerors, men who are leading their families according to the way that he's called them to lead. Huh? How many, what a wonderful testimony it would be for you all to come in here bound by the devil and go back to your home and say, you know what, I went to that place, baby, Get your kids up in a big group. Get them all together. Say, you know what? I went to that place bound by the power of the devil, but the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ set me free. And you know what? And I'm going to keep on staying free because I remember the day that the truth of the gospel came to me and the power of the living God set me free. It's not about what you've done. Where will you go from here? See that? that? It's not about what you've done. Contrary to popular belief, God's not sitting up there with a logbook in heaven going, okay, all right, this is Tuesday. I'm watching Joseph. Go ahead, mess up. I want to write your name down. I'm waiting on Clark. Andrew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Andrew's driving back down that same road. Oh, I'm going to get him now. I'm going to write his name down. No, he's not looking for a reason to deny you. If he was, let's present it in this way. If God was looking, For a reason to condemn you, why would he send Jesus Christ to save you? And yet, in God's word, he says, I didn't send my son to condemn you, but that through him you might be saved, delivered, healed, set free from the power of the devil. You're oppressed of the devil. This thing has woven, these things have woven itself in your flesh to the point that you can't get rid of it. Anybody ever have a leech? You ever get a leech? You ever get bit by something that you couldn't get off of you? You get bit by a dog or something? Well, I mean, you get get a dog got a hold of you. (laughs) You know you've got it, right? It feels like something's got a hold of you that you're just confounded. No matter what I do, I can't get away. I can't be set free. What have I done that God would make me this way? See, a lot of people believe that God's made them this way because they can't understand anything other than that. I've prayed. I've pleaded. I've begged for God to help me." And yet they've never heard the gospel, so they can't be helped. See, just because you hear the name of Jesus and then someone beating a pulpit, shouting words at you, doesn't mean you've heard the gospel. Anytime the gospel is preached, people receive faith. See that? Anytime the gospel is preached, the heart that is willing will receive faith. Receive faith unto salvation, receive faith unto healing, receive faith unto delivering. You know Jesus said a man, you know Jesus, got on the boat and went across the Sea of Galilee to set one man free who was bound by 6,000 demons. And we set him free, you know what Jesus did? He told that man, that man begged to go with him. Jesus said, you can't go, but here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go back to your home back to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you and then Jesus went right back up on the boat and sailed right back to the other side of the sea now that man had bound it had got himself bound that man had got himself bound with all those devils <laughs> and the devil tried and Satan tried to kill Jesus on the sea remember that the great It was called a Eurosecludon, a great supernatural storm. Remember the disciples would say, Lord, we're perishing. Jesus is asleep on the boat. (laughs) Why do you think the devil was trying to kill him? Because he knew his boat was setting sail for Gadara. He's going to go over there and set the man free that I've got bound with 6,000 of my minions. You know what Jesus did? walked over there. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And out they went. Right? That's exactly how it went down. Jesus said, now, go tell the people what great things the Lord's done for you and how he's had compassion upon you. Got right back on the boat, sailed right back to the other side. It says, that man went throughout all of the region of Decapolis. You know how big Decap- the region of Decapolis is? Ten major cities. That man went through ten major cities preaching. this man named Jesus came and set me free. And a lot of Bible scholars believe that the preaching of the madman of Gadara in the cities of Decapolis set up such miracles as the woman healed with issue of blood, Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. Why? Because he, he was, the, think about this, the opening preacher for the Lord. He went ahead of the Lord in these cities, preaching the gospel. What did he preach? Well, you know, brother, one day you'll get it in the sweet by and by. That's what a lot of people preach, ain't it? You'll oh, just, you know, you know, if God wants you to have it, you'll get it, and if He don't, you won't. No, what did he do? He went throughout the region of Decapolis, telling people, <laughs> "I was the madman of Gadara." You know, it wouldn't if a man was crazy, naked living in the cemetery, attacking people, and had the supernatural ability to break chains, how fast do you think that word would spread not even having Facebook? I'd get from here to Lexington pretty quick, don't you reckon? Huh? That same man went back around. I was that man who was naked, right? I was that man who was living in the tombs. I was that man cutting myself. I was that man. I was, I was, I was, but... Jesus set me free. See that? The power of the gospel, the power of the good news, the power of God will set you free. You, do, look at me. Andrew, you know God doesn't see you as an addict? When you go to heaven, God doesn't, when you, when you go to prayer, God doesn't want you to say, my name is Andrew and I'm an addict. You know that? You know that, Clark? God doesn't see you that way. Do you understand that, Joseph? God doesn't see you that way. He sees you according to the man that he called you to be. He sees you according to the design that he made you. See that? John, you see that? Can you believe that, John? I know it's hard to believe. Can you believe it? See, God doesn't see you like this. Do you understand that? He doesn't see you as a waste of time. He doesn't see you as a waste of space. He sees you as the precious fruit of the earth. Tim do you understand that he doesn't see you according to the position in which you're sitting in now he sees you according to what he's called you to be and he doesn't want one of you to leave here in the condition that you walked in here so I hope that helps right I know you know what you're not going to believe this I had absolutely nothing prepared Luke chapter 4 was all I had John chapter 5 I said, I I didn't even know until yesterday I was coming. And I kept sitting down. I said, Lord, what do you want to say to this group? All I kept hearing, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. I said, that's beautiful. What else do you want to say? Didn't get nothing. Didn't get John chapter 5 until today. Do you want to be made well? See, I like to come to these situations Prepared to move as God wants to move. And a lot of people would say, they might leave here tonight and say, there's only five people there. I'm going to leave here tonight and say, there was six people here and five men left set free. So if you want to be set free, God's here to set you free. You can go home to your children and say, I remember the day. I remember the day the gospel, the good news came to me. I remember the day. Andrew, what's your last name? Klug, it's German. <laughs> I had a wrist surgeon in Dayton, Ohio. His last name was Kluge. Uh, is it really? Yeah. What part? Uh, Hamilton, Ohio. Yeah? From Oxford. I'm from St. Paris. You ever heard of Piqua? Piqua, I've heard of it. Piqua, Piqua, Troy, Piqua, yeah. Tip City? I'm from that way. I know where Troy, Troy's the top of Ohio, right? Yeah, well, no, the middle. It's about the middle. But okay. Think about this. You go home. And tell your family, I remember the day the power of the gospel came to the Kluge family and set me free. God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to leave your bound. And if it's something that you can't accept right now, at least we've planted a seed to where you'll leave here. And every time that, the, that you will listen, the Holy Spirit will say, you know that crazy guy? You know that, you know that guy that seemed like he was about half nuts? came in there saying all kinds of crazy stuff that you had never heard before. You know, he was telling you the truth. God doesn't want you to be bound. God wants to set you free. So I hope it helps.